Well, turn with me in your Bibles, church, to Acts chapter 16. That's where we were last week and the week before. It's where we'll be this week, and we'll have one more story as we walk through this journey of Philippi of Paul and Silas. Um, Really excited. I've enjoyed tearing into this today. It brought me back to when I was a a kid. Just for a moment, picture in your mind what the elementary that you went to looked like. And, and I, for me, I have to be honest, I went to three different ones growing up. Um, and so I, I picture a particular one. What, what did your elementary school look like? Um, my elementary school um, was in uh, Callaway in, uh, in uh, Florida, just outside of Panama City. And our rooms didn't look like the schools today look like. Um, we had all of our doors open to the outside and you had a covered walkway, and when it rained sideways, you got wet. That's just how it was. Um, we, we, we had air conditioners in some of the windows and things like that. But my mom was a teacher for part of my time as a student in Callaway at this elementary school. And I loved hanging out, being a teacher's kid, because you got to hang out with her and, and the other teachers. My third grade teacher, Mrs. Smith, just a huge mark on, on my early childhood and showed me how you could have fun and still uh, learn just in that. And, and so I would stay late with mom and, and we were learning about money early on. I don't know if you've gotten to this point, but as we were learning about money, um, we had these cards. We didn't, you know, printers, the internet, that, y'all, that wasn't real. That wasn't a thing. Like, that was not it. The closest thing to the internet we had was the movie War Games, and that was never going to happen. So um, we had these coins, and you had to, like, punch them out of the paper. They were all, you know, they were all serrated in the, y'all, y'all with me with that? Kind of in that? You had to punch all the coins out. And so we were getting stuff ready for my mom, and nickels and dimes and quarters. And and I remember, whatever age that I was, thinking, this is the exact same size as a real quarter. So I, I devised an incredible scheme, probably second grade, maybe before that. Is I would help mom punch money out of this paper, and I, I started stashing some to the side. Because this is how you get rich. And, and what... What started in my mind was on your way to the cafeteria at the end of the walkway was a Coke machine. And that Coke machine took money and I didn't have any money, but now I had money. And so I I walked by it every day just kind of wishing I could go in and, and I never made it to the Coke machine. And then one day after school, a pocket full of paper coins, it was my time. It was my time. And so I I remember vividly going in with hopefulness, probably, you know, $40 in paper quarters, hope and prayer, not to Jesus, to some false deity, I'm sure at the time. I'm putting paper coins in. I put two in, I pushed the button and nothing happened. These don't weigh the same. So they're the same size, but there must be a pouch inside that when it's heavy enough and the right size, that's when it's like you can have a Coke now. So what did I do? I kept stuffing that thing with paper coins. Empty-handed, I'm shoving them in at the end. I'm trying to get it out. And guess who walks up? And my mama. David, what are you doing? 
said, I'm just trying to get a Coke. She says, that's not what you're doing. What are you doing? What did you put in there? I felt like Adam in the garden. Where are you? Like, oh man, if you're asking, you already know. And mom has a teacher with her. And, and I said, I put paper coins in there because I thought I could get a Coke. And, <laughs> and she said, you did what? I mean, now, back then I was like, it's paper coins. Just blow them out. I don't know. Just put your quarter in and see what happens, mom. Like, we can fix this. Well, let me tell you what happens when you shove paper coins in a Coke machine. The school doesn't own the Coke machine. Someone else puts it there. And they only come around like once a week to restock. So guess who broke the Coke machine at school for a whole week? And guess who uses the Coke machine the most at school, in elementary school? Everyone grading your paper. I remember having to be there when it was being repaired. That's the worst. Puts his key in, turns it, the lock pops out, and turns it aside. Y'all with me? And he opens up and all my paper coins all over the place. Oh, it was a horrible moment. The day that I realized that paper coins were cheap imitations of the real thing. Now note to self, if you're in here and have a good idea of watching online, plastic coins don't work either, but that's a different story, amen? That's not, you have to use the real thing. Coins from another country that are about the same size, they still don't work. But when I was reading this passage in Acts chapter 16, that's what I thought about. Because if you really look into this passage, verse 16 going to 24, you're going to see something woven in there that we don't normally focus on, and that's spiritual warfare. We really don't normally lean into that. Um, we have an incredible skill in the Baptist world. When someone mishandles something of Scripture, we like walk away and never talk about it again, right? Someone mishandles the rainbow, we got to take all the rainbows down in church. No, no, the rainbow is a sign of a promise right we walk away from it. so we're going to hit spiritual warfare really hard today instead of walking away from it because i believe when we see what we're up against at the end of the day there's an encouragement waiting for us because we start to understand the position of the enemy and what he's really dealing in church this morning here's the dead giveaway is paper coins so let's just walk through this. Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, they've walked into Philippi. Remember, they've gone down to the river. They've met Lydia. They weren't 10 Jewish men in to have a synagogue. God's doing something awesome. He's doing something amazing. And then this happens. Verse 16, this is, this is incredible. Follow me. Verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling now in this little verse we start to see the enemy at work we start to see what he's doing and how he's been at work in the city of philippi remember the city of philippi is not filled with god-fearing jews and god-fearing gentiles even there's only a few people there and they meet bound by the river for prayer and so the theme in this town is really dark. It's, it's quite honestly really God-less and man-made God-oriented. And so we find Paul, uh, not, not after Lydia, the town hasn't become on fire and turned to Jesus. Where are they going for the next Sabbath? Still down to the river. 
right? That, that still means there, there aren't 10 God-fearing men in town that are Jews. We don't know if this multiplied after Paul's last encounter with Lydia, but the evidence is that this work is starting. It's just now forming. That's why this passage is so very key, because the reality is when you and I are just beginning to re-engage in a relationship with God, we're re-establishing uh, this movement as a part of a small group or a church, it seems like when we're trying to get things right, that's when we get hit. Amen? I mean, if you've ever started a workout or, or even worse, a, like a diet, right? What, what happens every time you start trying to eat healthy? You find yourself having to go out to eat for like two weeks straight. You know what I'm saying? It seems like every time something new is started, something falls in. Well, when we start to follow Christ, it's amazing how every time the enemy, he starts pulling into us. He starts, starts wanting to, to nibble so that we don't take root, because that's, that's what he doesn't. That's, that's what he's against. And so this early church is forming and it's starting to take root. And the Bible says that they're met by a slave girl who has spirit of divination who brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Now, now check this out. This, this idea of a slave girl coming in, she is a, in, in this spirit of divination. The word literally is python or python instead of divination if you wanted to think through that right so what it's saying is in this city there's there's some people who carry out a practice of worshiping god the god of apollos greek god created by man and and that there was a priestess of python who was able to speak for or on behalf of and all the lesser followers of this cult we're, we're out in different places. Some, a, a part of the temple, many of them, women who had talents of fortune telling. And so they would find a place of esteem through a master couple who owned them. But the spirit of divination, if you wanted to get the picture of it, it, it would almost be described uh, by the word ventriloquism. That's the idea, that when this girl would open her mouth, it would be the voice of another, right? It, it, would, it would be someone else speaking through her in this place. So she has this python, python spirit. In other words, she's a part of this cult in her life, and she has a, a skill at proclaiming fortune telling in her life and and she's a part of this trio these this slave owners now no one wants to be a slave even back then no one wanted to be a slave but at the time sometimes it was a means to an end destitute and alone out by themselves life's not going how it ought to be it, it's better to be a part of this master couple than it is to rot in the streets by yourself. You, you, you could kind of see that fall into place and you see that happen. But this slave couple most likely was a husband and wife who simply saw this girl as property. Now, now why does it matter that on the way to prayer, at the middle of the beginning of something forming, does it matter that a girl who was seen as property with a gift 
of fortune telling. Why does that matter? Because in the big scheme of things, it tells us what Satan wants to do. He wants to accumulate what is not his. He wants to accumulate and possess what doesn't belong to him. You see, this girl may have thought, I am special. Or she may have thought, I don't love my life. But in the middle of that, there's something that's completely true. She was not a slave to one master. She was a slave to two. She was a slave to her physical masters who have purchased her and see her as property. And she was a slave to the God that she worshiped who simply saw her as a vessel to accumulate more of what he wanted. As you think through that, you start to think, what does the enemy want? Because scripture would say very clearly, and we'll see it, that she's possessed by a spirit, by a demon. What does the enemy want? Isaiah chapter 14 gives us a glimpse of it. Isaiah chapter 14 says this, verse 12. How, how you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you've cut down to the ground. How you laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mountain of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high church i want you to see in the big picture of this that the enemy desires to accumulate that which does not belong to him but which belongs to god almighty and in the middle of that every single other thing is a piece of property a pawn to be used abused for whatever ends it is because the end goal of the day of the enemy is not to make this woman get great it's not to make you great it's not to to make the masters great it's simply to accumulate what belongs to god so he can try and prove himself worthy to fulfill his goal what is the goal of the enemy? I will be like you. What did he say to Adam and Eve in the garden? If you eat that, you'll be like him. You see, he, he's all about this idea of a shortcut way to accumulate what God has. You see, this morning in your life, the, the question is, are, are you being filled by a desire to accumulate that which will give you importance, that which will give you esteem, that which will make your life easier, that which will make your family happier? Are you, are you trying to accumulate possessions to create this fantasy that apart from God, you are something? See, what Scripture tells us in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, 8 is that the enemy is like a prowling lion and he's looking to devour us. So we ought to be alert. We need to be aware for his schemes. If you look in Scripture, we can see this. I was reading in Genesis not long ago the story of Laban and Jacob. Uh, Laban is, is the father of Jacob's wives. Laban tricked Jacob because Jacob said, I'll work seven years for your younger daughter. And, and Laban said, that sounds great. And he saw the blessing was so good of seven years of, of being around Jacob that he got Jacob drunk, got him married to the wrong kid. That's a bad day. 
When Jacob wakes up, he realizes, he says, you're a cheater. Laban says, no problem. I'll give you my younger daughter now, but I need seven more years from you. Laban started to see that Jacob had the blessing of God and he wanted to siphon it off for himself. So after seven years was up, Laban was like, don't leave yet. I, I want you to stay around, accumulate some wealth. And so in the midst of this comes this crazy financial scheme. It's, the, it's this pyramid of if I'm successful, you're successful. And what does Laban do? He tries to keep siphoning off the blessing that God has put on Jacob and not on him. Church, that is the exact thing that the enemy wants of the Lord. And the question we have to ask when we look in the mirror is, am I in his hands? Am, am I a willing vessel of the enemy of the Almighty accumulating what belongs to the Almighty? Is that what's appearing in my life? Am I, am I in the mirror? When I, when I look deeply, are you really free? Or are the desires of your heart and your life and your future for Jesus, however we want to paint it. Are they controlling us so that we can accumulate what we find out only to be paper coins? And this verse 16 puts it all into place. Look at verse 17, 18, how it comes about this. And in here we see not just the enemy's motive, but now God's goodness. Verse 17 and 18. She, this is the slave girl, followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her and at that very out of her hour, excuse me, it came out of her at that very hour. Now, when you read that verse, is it weird that Paul and them got annoyed because this girl was saying they come and offer their servants to the Most High God and they offer the gift of salvation? Like, no, right, if, if there were people on the street corner saying, hey, at First Baptist Church, listen, if you go there, they're servants of the Most High God and they offer the way to salvation, would we be like, shh? <laughs> is that a little bit weird? It's a little bit strange, like, they love Jesus Christ, the real one. Shh, would that annoy you? So, so we have to do something here. We have to take the picture off of us a little bit and put it where it is. Who is the master of this slave girl? The enemy. What is going on in the midst of this? Paul and, and his friends are getting annoyed. And after she keeps saying this over and over and over, who do they speak to? Who does Paul speak to in your text? Look in verse 18. They said to the who? One, two, three. Spirit. The spirit. See, what's interesting is it doesn't say Paul was so annoyed with this girl. Oh my goodness. She's driving us nuts. No, they know who's the, the master of this puppet because Paul knows if you are not set free by the Lord, then you are a slave to sin. And the prince of this darkness, that's your master. 
And so Paul, in this moment, isn't annoyed at the girl. They're annoyed that the Spirit is trying to do what he always tries to do, to diminish the ministry of God and proclaim the ministry of darkness. And because, let's see, who's walking around in this town? Gentiles who worship false gods. The highest god would have been Zeus. And so if the master of darkness can be the herald of God, then he gets to take a little bit of credit. A little bit of credit is, look, man, she was so good. The town's changing. Who told you that was going to happen? $30, she'll tell you your fortune next week. Do you see the capitalistic mind going to work in these slave owners? In, in the ideas of the enemy? You see, what scripture says over and over is that the devil is a liar. John chapter 8. John chapter 10. The devil is a thief. Church, the schemes of the enemy are wise and we need to be alert on them because they try to diminish the ministry of God. In Genesis, Abraham rescues Lot, this huge bounty. He defeats an enemy that all of these kings couldn't defeat. And so he throws this party and he's giving people back their stuff and the king of Sodom comes and he says, hey, listen, you keep all the stuff. Just give me the people. Why? Because the enemy sees people as property because of the value the almighty God has placed on you. And Abraham says, I will not do it because I will not let you take an ounce of credit for the blessing to come from the almighty God. You see, when the enemy tries to steal that blessing, it's not always up front. It's through wisdom. Man, you take the people. I got a lot richer really quick. It's like a fast track to God's promise. He tried this with Jesus, Matthew chapter four. Do you remember? Jesus is in the desert. What, what does the enemy say? Hey, you want to accomplish God's goals? I got a fast track for you. Just give me a little credit. Just bow to my will just a little bit. Just turn yourself over into my hands. You see, what he's doing is he's trying to accumulate what amounts to paper coins. And how is that rebuked? With the name of Jesus. Did you notice that? All this is going on, all this clamor, all this cluster. And the Bible says, Peter said, Paul says, in the spirit, I, to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And at that very hour, it came out. Church, here's the beauty of this. Here's the beauty of this woman living as a part of this cult, a slave to the master of the flesh, a slave to the master in the spirit, thinking maybe she's free, thinking maybe she's found the way to navigate life. And God is not annoyed with her. You see, the joy of God's action is that he doesn't throw people away. He just clears their table of the paper coins he, he just makes obvious what is. The tradition of this story is that the woman became a part of the, the local church, that, that she confessed Christ as her Lord and Savior. 
and that tradition has good roots because the, the scripture shows us through the words of Christ that when, when you or I clean up our own life with man-made tools, the enemy is totally fine with that because it just makes more ways for him to get his fingers deep. If you, if you win over alcoholism by man-made steps, it's amazing how pride and self-righteousness of what you've done and why others can't can sneak in. If you save your marriage through a difficult time away from Jesus Christ, it's amazing how the center of your universe gets that credit and those talents get deep. If you figure it out, if you raise great kids apart from Christ and they're good moral people, and then you can, you can tell everybody, this is how I did it, this is how it's done. See, when you and I clean up our own life, the enemy doesn't care because you're making room for deeper strings for the ventriloquist to move his puppet around. Remember, he doesn't care about you or your stuff. You're his property because the Lord on high values who you are. But when Jesus cleans the house, it's in preparation for the Holy Spirit to have a home see he doesn't throw the the stuff away he clears it out so that all of a sudden the woman becomes exactly what the enemy was afraid of what was she saying when they were walking around people these are servants of the most high god and god says to the enemy what you thought was yours i will show you is mine and so here is this woman now who is a servant of the most high god god says your paper coins hold no power where the name of jesus has presence church the world is wanting to offer you and i this idea that enslaves millions that there is a backdoor way to experience life, to experience hope, to experience joy, that there's some kind of backdoor nook to experience freedom that only comes from the glory of the one and only. And what this moment shows us is that the Lord Almighty is not deceived by this. He is not threatened by this. He is simply annoyed that the enemy keeps it up. But what does he do for every single man, woman, boy, and girl? He offers a chance to have your table clean and to choose. Do you, do you have the hand of freedom in Jesus Christ? Do you take this opportunity to freely accept what can never be stolen? It only comes through the name of Jesus. The enemy wants you and I to be anxious about the name of Jesus, anxious about the reality of the power and the grip of the Almighty God. He wants us to get intoxicated by, by cheap shortcuts in life that just get you through this season as fast as possible. But God has something else in mind. This is the best. This is the most hopeful thing out of the whole passage, verse 19 through 24. You're gonna love this. The Bible says it this way. But, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the market. 
before the rulers. And they brought them to the magistrates and they said, these men are Jews, they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that aren't lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Isn't that awesome? I mean, this is, this is amazing. Uh, to me, this is the best part of the whole story. And it has zero to do what's going on with Paul and Silas. You see, I think there are times when the Lord offers to clean our tables and we say, well, Lord, I want to follow you. And then we look at it back at ourselves at the center of proof of who God is. And Paul and Silas, if we follow them to the story, we can say, man, God just healed this woman. The name of Jesus Christ has power. Well, right when that happens, what do the owners do? They seize them, take them for the judge. The people get upset with them. They tear their clothes, they beat them, and they throw them in jail. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Let me ask you, if you're the center of that story, if you are Paul and Silas, is this a feel-good moment? <laughs> Y'all, come on now. Y'all. <laughs> if I were to be like, when you walk out the door before you get your lunch, we've got free beatings and jailing going on. <laughs> Everybody's, yes! Jesus wins! No, because if you're the center of the story, it's what's happening to you that proves God. Who proves the power of God? God does. He doesn't need me and you to prove him. Where is the power of this moment? Look all the way back to verse, verse 16, verse 19 here. Are you ready for this? This is huge. But when her owners saw that their what? Hope of gain was what? Long, gone, lost. Did you see it? Why are they so mad? Why are you taking this out on Paul and Silas? Because in the name of Jesus, the hope of all gain, current gain, past gain, and future gain is wiped out from the enemy's hand. Now church, is that awesome? Like that's a win. That's what we're here for. Not to stay away from beatings, not to stay away from jails, not to stay away from people thinking poorly of us. We are here to proclaim in the name of Jesus Christ that hope is lost for those who dwell in darkness and he who reigns there. By definition, hope is where Jesus' name reigns. This girl is no longer mentioned because she's not the center of the story. Church, all of a sudden, the joy becomes greater than the problem. You know what? When that guy came and fixed the Coke machine when I was a kid, praise Jesus, the hope of my silly tricks and the outcome of it was no longer a thought. What were teachers happy about? Coca-Cola, baby. 
I can put my two quarters in any time I want to. Don't you come near them. I mean, it was like exercising demons. I wasn't allowed by that thing for a long time. It's, it's amazing how there is joy when the real hope is lost from the enemy. I mean, that, that's the picture, that's the truth. The name of Jesus removes all of that. And the attack on God's people is the evidence that the hope has been lost. But church, this morning, we don't talk about things like this very often. But, but as you look at this story, as you read through this moment, what do you see when you look in the mirror? Are you, are you trying to make things happen? Are, are, you, are you trying to accumulate what you know is paper coins? You know it. Fame, possessions, a little man-made peace. How about a little man-made reputation? How about a little man-made people think my kids are good? Church, that's paper coins. That's the dealings of the enemy. Because they don't amount to anything. Now here's a beautiful truth. If Jesus Christ is Lord of your life and you've professed him as Lord and Savior. Now I'm not just saying if you love him. I'm saying if you actually profess him as Lord and Savior of your life, as your master, then I want you to know the enemy can't possess you. But boy, he can press against you. And he might deceive you into thinking you need to go back to collecting paper coins, paper coins instead of the jewels that belong in the crown of life. If, if that's where you are right now, then let the name of Jesus redirect you, put you back on course. But, but maybe as you sit in this room, you've realized that, that you thought you were free, but you have been serving the wrong master. And you are miserable regardless of what you look like on the outside. I want you to know the good news is is that Jesus has not thrown you away. He is not annoyed with you. But right here, right now in this place, he is letting you know that what's on the table are paper coins. And in this moment, you are invited to take hold of freedom in the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 7 says this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Hey, if what you look at in the mirror looks old, worn out, abused, if there's evidence of a hard life, bad decisions, marks of the master's of yesterday and maybe this morning. We're all jars of clay. It's the surpassing power of God that makes us worthful, valuable, worthwhile.
So wherever you've been, whatever you've done, this morning, let the, God, let the Lord God Almighty wipe that off. And in the name of Jesus, become the servant of a new master. Let's pray. We love you, Lord. God, this, this morning we invite you, Lord, to be in this place. God, I, it's so easy to look at my circumstances as evidence of your glory. So to end a story with people getting beat up because they love you and they were used for you, to, to end a story where people are thrown in jail and, and, and accused of a crime because they were, they were uh, tools and servants of yours, God, the, that can be a little bit unsettling, Lord, because I think we can be deceived into thinking that I'm the story. But our story is your story. It's tied up in your name. So Father God, I pray that that whatever waits for us, Lord, if, if it turns father against son, let us claim the freedom of Jesus. If it turns neighbor against neighbor, let us claim the freedom of Jesus. Lord, if it turns friend against friend on Facebook, let us claim the name of Jesus, Lord. We have no need to allow the enemy's paper coins of offense to make its way into the testimony because the name of Jesus is enough. But Father God, we pray that we would be jars of clay, vessels for the surpassing power of the Almighty God, that you might lead people from darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus. So Lord, in this slave girl's story, Lord, let us see us because we were captive and now we're set free or in this room there are some that are, are captive and you are offering the ability to be set free God in this moment let us see your word in the name and the light of your son in his name we pray amen